0: Welcome to Finding Your Way, a podcast designed with survivors in mind. Conversations on this show help guide listeners toward finding solutions for safety and support as they navigate life from being a victim to becoming a survivor of violence. I'm your airtime advocate, Sarah Smith, and I represent a team of professionals from Care Lodge Domestic Violence Shelter, home based in Meridian, Mississippi there. Thanks for joining us today. I have my friend Santi Izao with us to talk about Crime Victims' Rights and Sexual Assault Awareness Month and all sorts of things that she's been learning and sharing from her role at Mississippi State University at the Starkville campus. So Santi, can you give us a little bit about who you are and what really sparks you every single day to do what you do?
1: Absolutely. So again, I'm Santi Ezel. I am in the Department of Health Promotion and Wellness, and I oversee our violence prevention programming. And this month has definitely been a month of programming, even though the last day of class for our students was on Monday, we did a lot of virtual programming and just in-person programming. And our theme this year was Consent is Hot. Uh, out is not and really wanted to capture the students attention on resources that are available on campus and in the community, but also ways to support survivors victims as well as what you can do to prevent these things from happening or just things that you may not even think of that could possibly lead to a harmful situation.
0: So, one of the first things I think about CNT is victim blaming with sexual assault, especially on college campuses, whether it's on campus or off campus, really, what they're wearing. Well, if they weren't wearing that, you know, they were asking for it or they got drunk. So, that just means that they wanted to be with me. They didn't say no. Can you kind of speak to the whole victim blaming and personal accountability as an offender? our potential offender as a bystander even, knowing that something's kind of not sitting right with you.
1: Absolutely, I'm so glad you said that, Sarah, because we did our What Were You Wearing? Display exhibition in our gallery for right at two weeks. And we wanted students to really think about you know, not asking that question, what were you wearing? Or what did you do? Or was any type of substance involved in that situation? And what I have really learned is students don't know many of the sexual violence terms or don't understand what is victim blaming. Because until I really understood violence prevention, sexual assault, it was one of those things You just ask those questions and you don't think about how that impacts the person. And so with that exhibit, we were hoping students were able to capture the survivor stories, but then also remember not to ask the question, what were you wearing? Um, What did you do? Why did you do this? Well, if you didn't go to that party, this would have never happened to you. Or if you weren't hanging out with those, um, you know, your Greek friends, or if you weren't a part of this certain type of organization, then this would not have happened to you. So I know that sometimes victim blaming is not intentional, but sometimes it is. And so really finding, you know, helping students understand these are the right things to ask. Um, do you wanna report this situation? How can we move on from, you know, this assault? or this misconduct or harassment that has happened to you. And one of the things that I think about, some people believe consent starts with sex, but consent even starts as early as, you know, learning about what consent is, boundaries, respect, healthy relationships, um, healthy friendship to navigate that before you get to college and you having to learn these things but helping you know students and even adults now learn what is consent and boundaries
0: yeah I'm so glad you brought up the um, multi-dimensional parts of consent because well I had this talk the other day with some high school students and I said you know we have the talk when we're young about good touch bad touch and no 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 square and what no no square is and they're like huh I said you know the no no square's parts where a bathing suit touches your body you're not supposed to touch and they were all like I've never heard that and I said well you just got the talk congratulations and they were just laughing at that but there's so many and that were high school kids who have never heard that talk we're talking about juniors here seniors who have never heard what is okay and what's not okay and that was alarming to me because Chances are the majority of them in that room probably thought that those things were all right or acceptable behavior between either partners or friends or anything like that. And you know, when I really started diving into advocacy work and education with domestic violence and sexual assault, I really learned so much more about what sexual assault is. It's not just rape. And that's what really came to my mind. Like all my life growing up, that sexual assault was only rape.
1: Right. Can you talk to that? Absolutely. And I was looking like, oh, my gosh. So there is a kind of like a wheel spectrum of what sexual violence looked like. And I'm literally trying to find it. But, you know, I've always thought that, too. It was just rape. But things from like sexual harassment, sexual misconduct, um, sexual assault, What does that look like? Groping, grooming, stealthing. Um, And these were all words that I did not know until I got into this position. and was like, wait a minute. Okay, sexual assault is just not sexual assault, but it's much more than that. And so I think when we hear the terms, because we usually hear sexual assault, we usually hear rape. We usually hear, now we're hearing sexual harassment or sexual misconduct. And what does all that mean for us? But then also understanding, okay, let's take a step back. So like sexual assault, rape, sexual harassment, thinking about cyber harassment, digital abuse, um, sexual exploitation, trafficking, indecent exposure, revenge porn, all these kinds of things that I did not learn in high school or have the conversation in college. And now I'm learning like, okay, sexual violence is so much more than just rape, like you said. Um, And those were the conversations that I was able to, not really conversations, but the stories that I would hear or maybe see on Lifetime. And it was so much more than that of what is sexual violence and what does this look like in the different dynamics of our communities and our college campuses. So I'm really learning and you know, who would have thought that, you know, we just thought, well, someone is just exposing pictures but that's like revenge porn and it's much more than that. And believe it or not, a lot of high school students and college students experience this and they never know what it is and they're embarrassed and they go through a period of being exposed of sending a nude then that nude is leaked and you have people all around campus or the community who finds it out so this has been a learning journey for me and i'm still learning just all of what sexual violence entails
0: well something you just said made me really think hard So on a college campus setting or you know title IX, there's lots of rules black and white rules that can be followed that define these things like sexual misconduct, but as a society, how hard is it for us to define what sex what is misconduct and what is acceptable. And how are we, as an individual, saying, okay, this is not misconduct for me because this is what I enjoy, this is what's okay to me, or this is my life, I'm living my best life, and you do you, and I'll do me, and we'll just worry about ourselves. But we can't just live like that. Right. Because we have to consider other people and safety and boundaries and things like that. So this is just what I'm thinking here. If we live the whole I do me, you do you, then we are further victimizing the victims because, you know, that happened to them. That ain't got nothing to do with me. So how, how are we supposed to define that as a society versus college campus or college society?
1: Right. And, you know, when you said that we're living in the Bible Belt, there are some things in Mississippi that has been done that we've swept under the rug. I know particularly this is one of those topic areas that people do not like to have the conversation about or you know we don't think that it could possibly happen to us or a family member or just someone we may know and so i really think that with various organizations and especially like on you know when The Me Too movement started and people felt comfortable, women felt comfortable sharing their stories. But then also it was a defining moment, like what is right and what is wrong? And I think like various organizations like Care Lodge and, you know, the different centers that we have for nonviolence and the domestic violence shelters and the rape crisis centers are getting a lot more attention because people are becoming a little bit more educated Now, there are some people who are going to say, you do you, and I'm going to do me. But then also, in the long run, that kind of hurts us as women and men, because we are experiencing things very differently. And then we also have to look at the environments. You know, is rape and sexual misconduct okay? For some families, it has been um, child molestation. People have grew up in those type of homes. And so it's a continuous cycle. And I think some cycles are being broken, but I also feel like that if we don't teach what you said, consent, healthy boundaries, understanding that there are survivors, they're sharing their stories, it really makes an impact. And even from, you know, a woman or a man being a victim to now being a survivor. And then I think of women when they have to go to, you know, their OBGYN and have to go through different dynamic of that situation, especially if they've experienced some type of sexual violence and their bodies are not where, um, their bodies feel uncomfortable going through that. And so really, I think we're changing the narrative, having podcasts, YouTube videos, conversations, but I also think taking that next step with action is making a difference.
0: Definitely. And I think when you're talking about breaking those cycles, I believe that even with the, um, the movement of mental health and speaking out about saying something, checking in with a friend, you know, those cycles, I think, are being broken. I think we still need to do a lot of work on the whole snitches get stitches thing. Yeah. We're still kind of stuck on that. However, I think we're doing a little bit better about disclosing, about sharing right. what's happening with us because there's solidarity in being able to say, it's happened to me too. And like the, you said, the Me Too movement, the Church Too movement as well. You know, when that started happening with me too, the people in church and faith communities were like, hey, it's happening here, too. And it, I, it happened to me and I carried the weight and gravity of my experience with me for years without saying something. And now right. I feel comfortable because you've shared your story publicly or not, I mean, maybe not mass media publicly, but publicly enough to right. this. And, you know, I can say something now, I feel good now. I feel safe to share. Right. So I think we're doing some good things there. But, and with culture too, you spoke to that. There are different cultures of people that believe that That's the way things should be. And I've seen where systemically different groups of people maybe say, well, that is their culture. That's, I'm just going to leave that alone because that's what their culture says. And there needs to be A, some more education about what that culture is like and B, what people from that culture define it not just our assumptions and biases. Right? right. So we can't just say, oh, that's just how things are. I'm going to leave it alone. We have to say, well, is that how things are? Do I know somebody that can speak, you know, for themselves? Like I can't speak for all Caucasian Northern Americans. Right. <laughs> Cause my story is uniquely mine and you can't speak for everybody in Starkville.
1: Absolutely. <laughs>
0: so we have to look at everybody uniquely and individually. They have their own sense of needs. And with victim empowering victims to become survivors, that's how we have to do it. We It has to be person-centered
1: help. Right. And I'm glad you said that because that goes back to building a more trauma-informed campus and a trauma-informed community. So we know that each one of us have experienced some type of trauma, whatever that may be. And then just collectively, we have experienced trauma. And it impacts us all differently. And some of that is heavier for others than, you know, that it may be for a woman or a man or a different race or ethnicity. Um, So I think it's really important for us to understand that we all carry something, but then we have to create safe spaces in order to become more trauma informed. And I think about like, my hometown that's very rural and, you know, there aren't any services nearby. So Safe Haven Domestic Violence Shelter is in Columbus. So that's about an hour or so away to receive those services. And in those rural areas, you know, nobody's talking about trauma-informed care. No one's talking about, you know, resources that they can get on, you know, maybe A weekly basis, not even daily, that's very accessible that you could go to. So I think about just how many rural areas in Mississippi are not receiving those services, and they can receive them, but if you don't have transportation or immediate service to get to that location, it makes things difficult.
0: So glad you said that because Care Lodge offers not only in-person support and assistance, but virtual as well. I think COVID really shook everybody up to explore new ways to reach people. And podcasting and YouTube videos are two channels, but, you know, meeting with people virtually, um, doing telemedicine, telehealth, things like that, phone call support. Lots of victims not even having phone service because their abuser maybe has taken their phone or smashed their phone or has been paying for their service and ended their line. So all they have now is Wi-Fi and a connection to speak through Google voice or Facebook or something, you know, so being very open to reaching people in different ways is super important.
1: Yes. I think that has helped us in the midst of this pandemic, people were able to locate services virtually, and they also felt safer and more comfortable, which has really allowed us to see, you know, ask ourselves, does virtual work better for people? Even when it comes to like, we don't do counseling in our office, but our counseling center will be offering students an option, you know, going forward, would you like to do your appointments virtually or in person? And I think that is really important. So I asked my students as well. Would you like to meet in person or virtually? Some students enjoy that virtual setting. And some students are like, I need to see you face to face. I haven't seen you all semester. So I really think providing that option is going to be very important.
0: Yeah. And there's with things as vulnerable as therapy or talking to somebody about what's going on, like assault or just relationship violence. It doesn't have to just be physical violence or sexual assault, but just toxicity that just is growing over time, this is safe. I can choose to end the conversation and and end my vulnerability, or I can, you know, we're not in the same space, breathing the same air. So we are physically separated and I am, I can remain healthy. You know, the fear is still there, even though vaccinations are available and safe social distancing and mask wearing and sanitizing, there's still that underlying anxiety around it. So, yeah making new ways. One or two takeaways from the event you've experienced this month so far in your outreach and education that you think everybody just needs to take home.
1: Oh gosh, we have done so many events, but I think honestly, the two takeaways is, you've pointed this out, is really continuous education is needed in this moment. And then also providing definitely safe spaces for students to listen, but then also have us listen to them. So some of the events that took place was the what were you wearing? But then also we did love letters to survivors. And as I read through those letters, we had close to 100. Some of them were survivors who were giving survivors, you know, encouraging words, affirmations. But then also there were students who didn't mind writing encouraging words because they knew that that could really uplift someone and so we're going to give some to our office of survivor support and then Safe Haven Domestic Violence Shelter. And on top of that, I think we had a virtual speaker um, by the name of Ebony Stewart, and she shared her story, but she also did an amazing job with her poetry, and it just really gave people chills. And for me, it was a space for survivors, but also students to understand that these things do happen, but you can overcome them, and there is support for you especially if you're, you know, you feel comfortable reaching out to that support. So I think that was just some of the takeaways from it and really just engaging students in the awareness. So wearing a teal ribbon, wearing our t-shirts, reading that book, tapping into the resources that are on campus, but also just taking a moment to like breathe and be like, wow, that is really impactful. How can I support this?
0: Yes. Healing through art form is a wonderful thing to incorporate in that journey for sure. Whether it's dance or poetry, singing, writing narratives, blogging, just fleshing it out however you can, or just putting colors together. And a lot of people are like, I'm not doing that mess, but it's the process of creating something that is actually the healing process. It doesn't have to look like Claude Monet or anything like that. It just has to be the actual process of making something and seeing that you created. And there's, there's pleasure that comes with that. You were talking about safe spaces. What does that look like when you provide education on campus or you do like a talk or you know something like that? How do you get more interaction with college life?
1: You know, I think with this topic, it can be very difficult so, like you said, healing through art is something that students really may need at that moment. I think also when you're creating safe spaces, for me, when I try to do that, I always tell students or even faculty or staff if they're a part of it. So, um, we're in this space together, but I'm also honoring your space, but then honoring that you have a story, but then also honor me because I have a story, whatever that story may be. And if they're there to listen, take notes, listen, breathe in. But then also if you're there to share a story, know that this is non-judgmental. And I think the online spaces were really great for students because they were in you know, they were behind the screen, but then it wasn't 100 people on that screen. It was a small group. When I think about safe spaces, to me, that means being comfortable about who you are, kind of honoring your story, but also know that your story adds value to the world and the space that you're in. And we're here to listen and really see how we can be of support to you even beyond that current moment.
0: I love what you just said. I've had conversations recently about healthy contentment and seeing the value of where you are right now, even if you don't have much, so to speak. And college life can be a real struggle, especially if you're a young family and just trying to make it and trying to go to school and work and all sorts of complex things happening behind the scenes. You have value, you have worth, you're important and you're here for a purpose. And as providers, we don't want somebody to feel like Their existence is just pointless or because something happened to them that they no longer have worth or value to contribute to society or to a future positive relationship. They're not damaged goods because something happened to them and they are worthy of respectful relationships that have dignity and empathy and compassion. They don't have to settle for people who treat them like less than human. So I really, really appreciate what you just said. And those takeaways are great. Creating safe spaces, encouraging others, even if you don't know them is super, super, super important because those words will bring life where there's been pain and discouragement.
1: Yeah, um, I just get a heart up because I love that. Yes.
0: <laughs> I love it. I love it. Thank you so much. Love
1: you.
0: Um, Santee, is there anything else that you think you want to share before we kind of wrap things up?
1: You know, I think we kind of touched on everything, but then I also kind of think about, you know, crime victim rights, week kind of theme and just really kind of, as we kind of take everything in, I know we're doing the work, but I hope communities find, I don't know, not find the time, but I hope, you know, take the time to understand what survivors and victims are in need of and really just Kind of building safe spaces, whether that's churches, communities, schools, and begin engaging in those conversations because sexual abuse happens, child abuse happens, and child abuse prevention month as well. These things happen in our communities, whether they're exposed or not. So we really have to be mindful of the spaces we're creating, things that we're doing, because, you know, a child or an adult can just be. Moments away from giving up. So I think that's really important for us as we kind of view this week as a piece of engagement and not just saying, okay, it's this week, well, it's done, it's over. Like there's continuous work that needs to be done.
0: Absolutely. And I think we could really just wrap up our conversation in saying that it's not a big quick fix, it's not a one solution issue. It is about compassion, empathy, listening. And supporting the way that that person needs you to show up in their life, whether it's just listening to their story and being there to go have ice cream, ask them, how can I show up for you? How can I be here to support you? I'm here when you're ready to say something. I will go with you. I'm concerned for you. Those kind of talks, whether it's in the courtroom or it's in the community or whatever our position or authority is showing up the best we can for that person and knowing that it's complex, it's not just here's a solution and then they're going to do that they have to feel it from the inside out and go with what they feel is safest and best for their decision and their their ultimate outcome so thank you so much for joining me today and i hope to have another talk with you soon because that was really engaging and inspiring that you're doing that kind of work there on campus and that people have a warm face and a, a friendly person that they can come to and talk out their their stuff and get connected to who they need to. And on campus or off campus, you're that girl. <laughs>
1: Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed this conversation. I think it's really something that's needed and it's always great to see, you know, not only just women having this conversation, but men from different races, ethnicity, just really trying to push, you know, positive, energy into this and knowing that we can make a change by working together. So thank you.
0: How can people get a hold of you at campus if they're in Meridian or if they're in Starkville?
1: Absolutely. So if they go to our health promotion website, so healthpromotion.msstate.edu, they should be able to find me in the directory. But if not, my email is se126 at msstate.edu and office number is 662-325-7545.
0: All right I'll make sure to drop that in the description below but y'all please follow them online they post lots of great things on social media so with that being said thank you Santee and I hope you have a wonderful rest of your week and be blessed. Thank you you too. Thanks for joining us for finding your way. Remember, you are the expert of your situation, and help is only a phone call away. Be safe and love one another. If you want to know more about what was shared on today's podcast, check out the links provided in the show notes or visit us online at carelodge.com. Make sure to follow Care Lodge on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. If you need help, call 601-693-4673. That's 601-693-HOPE. If you're not in the East Central Mississippi area, you can call the National Domestic Abuse Hotline at 1-800-799-7233. That's 1-800-799-7233.